The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Support for this show comes from the Four Winds Society, offering the world's most thorough training in the philosophy and practice of shamanic energy medicine, combining ancient wisdom teachings with cutting edge neuroscience. Learn how you can begin your journey at thefourwinds.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today is Sierra Campbell. Sierra Campbell is an entrepreneur and yoga activist. After 10 years at the head of a senior care company she founded in Bloomington, Indiana, Sierra shifted her focus and now places her time and energy on sustainable agriculture, farm-to-table restaurant concepts, and her private label environmentally responsible yoga mat company called Ventana Yoga. Sierra offers yoga for stress management, women's health, and cancer recovery and prevention. Sierra Campbell, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you for having me. I was listening to some of the uh, talks you've given on the internet, and I was struck, and I'm going to ask you to tell the story, but your discovery of yoga began with a mud puddle and a garbage. So tell us about that. (laughs) Yes, it did. Um, In two separate days, on December 5th, it was 1998, I found a book on yoga called The Yoga Handbook in a mud puddle uh, on my, my college campus, Indiana University. And uh, I kept the book, but then I, I ran back and put it inside of my apartment, went to class, and didn't think about it. And I, I remember at the time thinking, I can't believe our university offers yoga. I had never heard about it. I didn't even know what it was. Um, and honestly, I, was, I didn't really care about it. I thought, I, I thought about it more like, I can't believe that they offer this this is really a class? That's ridiculous. (laughs) And the next day, I was in a car accident that took away my mobility to walk for about six months. And all I had, uh, I'd say the best medicine, happened to be that book on yoga. Luckily, that book was more about pranayama, breathing practices, than it was about uh, the physical yoga that we see so prevalent today of poses and exercise. Uh, It was the best form of chronic pain management I could have possibly found. So tell me a little bit about that. So, I mean, you were not in a condition where you could you could do any asanas, any poses. So how did pranayama help the breathing exercise? The first thing pranayama gave me was control over my own health, where I felt at the whim of medical doctors and decisions that involved surgery and lots of medication. And I felt like I could come back to my breath and have control over something. And what I found is that when I would practice these breathing exercises, I I wasn't thinking, I wasn't in fear. I wasn't in fear of making the wrong decision. I wasn't thinking, should I take these steroids or these pain pills? I was actually pain-free when I could stay in the practice. And those practices started out just being extending my exhale that easy, like just taking my exhale and spending 10 extra seconds exhaling fully and then using the entire capacity of my lungs 
to fully breathe. And it seems simple and it is the best medicine I believe that we have, we have available to us and it's, it's always with us. Let, let me ask you a question because this is really interesting about the notion of fear. So when, you know, when we're afraid, we're constricted. This is where the breath comes in. We breathe more shallowly. We don't feel in control. I mean, all the things you were saying, just in reverse, fear robs us of, of all of those uh, aspects of having some kind of control over our lives. And you found that that breath alone could actually free you from the grip of fear. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then it started to teach me when I would be in front of my doctors and the Western doctors would say, oh, the, you know, the best option for you. And I was 18 years old. They would say, we really need to fuse all of your cervical vertebrae. I had fractured C1 through 37 from a, being rear-ended by a dump truck. And I would find myself barely breathing, I, just holding on, like listening to the doctors. And I felt disempowered. And I'd think to myself, why aren't I sitting upright and just breathing through this? And I don't have to make a decision right now. I just have to be with this moment. And yes, this is their opinion. This is, it, it would remind me that I had power and I was in control of this process. Can you teach us something very simple that someone listening to the show who's in the grip of fear, either physically from an accident or emotionally or whatever it is, something that they could do and learn to do right now to help liberate them from that constrictive fear? Yes, I'd love to. So notice just how your posture is right now and see if you can extend your spine just a few inches and bring your shoulders back and put one hand on your belly, below your belly button, and see if you can breathe into that space first. So often we take a big breath and we puff our chest out. So see if you can actually take a breath deep in your belly, then your mid-lung, and then the upper chambers of your chest. And just try using the entire capacity of your lungs as you inhale and fully exhale. So really squeeze the air from the lungs and allow your abdominal muscles to fully exhale all of that, the energy or air from your lungs. And so each inhale, base of your belly first, the base of the lungs, like you're filling a pitcher of water and an upper, upper chest. Just notice how you feel when you consciously work to use the entire capacity of your lungs. And it may make you yawn. I consider that it's like your body waking up. There's so many, there's so much more space that's available to us, not just in our lungs, but it starts to open spaces in our minds and our perspectives as we breathe a little bit deeper with each breath. So, you know, pranayama practices impact brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. uh, the way you're, you're inviting us to breathe, it changes the way your brain is functioning. But it's almost like we are oxygen starved, and that starvation feeds the emotional fears. Do you find that in the, in the people you work with? Absolutely. If you notice, even if you have a hard conversation with your loved one or your boss or a coworker, just your body posture can make a big difference in that conversation. So if you're hunched over and your shoulders are tight and you, you're coming into that conversation with fear and anxiety, that's fine. But if you do that consciously and you know this is going to be a difficult conversation, just holding your body more open and letting your body breathe more creates openness not only in yourself but in the others that you're communicating with. They, they see you differently. They, they're more open to experiencing the conversation. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. So I, I want to move a little bit into 
the spiritual end of things beyond, and I don't really want to make a distinction between spiritual and physical, but beyond just the breathing and, and talk about the spirituality of yoga. When, I mean, I go to India, luckily I've been there quite often in the last couple of months, and I, I teach at a lot of, I talk, give lectures at a lot of different ashrams in different places. And when they talk about yoga, they're talking about the four classic yogas of uh, karma, bhakti, jhana, and raja, the yogas that are used to really awaken us to the non-duality of the divine and, and the human, or, or Atman and Brahman. And I'm wondering if you also work in, in those other areas, areas that are more, I mean, certainly hatha yoga is was ex- explicitly Hindu, uh, was sort of a foundation for these other yogas. Do you work with the other yogas as well, or is really the physical where you, you focus? Uh, no, absolutely I not. I, I see yoga as, um, in many ways, as a lifestyle. Um, and and I, I agree with you that in some some uh, some perspectives, yoga can seem um, just physical or just spiritual or maybe even religious. And because I found that yoga book and it became such an integral part of my day-to-day life, I've spent the last 18 years studying all types of yoga. And the the best experiences for myself have been when you are in your practice, whether it's a physical practice, it might be Ashtanga or Iyengar, where you're you're really working your physical body. If you're not in touch with your breath, you're not really practicing yoga. You know, it's bringing that smaller self into the larger sphere of the universe and really feeling in that flow, knowing where your power center is and feeling it in your body and feeling it in a divine way. And it touches everyone in a, in a very different way. I like to be reminded by my teachers that the breath is a vehicle to get there, to open and expand your mind. And the purpose of physical yoga is to sit, is to open our physical body so that we can sit in meditation comfortably to experience our own mind, to know our thoughts, to catch up with our thoughts so that we can have better control and creativity in our decisions on a day-to-day basis. What was your spiritual upbringing before you had the accident and, and, and discovered yoga in the mud puddle? <laughs> uh, I was raised Catholic and you know, church every Sunday. Um, I, and I appreciate the structure of, of that experience. Um, but six months before my car accident, I had the blessing of meeting a Tibetan monk in Bloomington, Indiana. And he, um, I, I believe, I think the great spirit was trying to open me up to these things in the car accident. Uh, literally sat me down to be able to experience them. Otherwise, I would have just been busy, busy, busy getting through college and getting on with a career. And I would have missed uh, the great opportunity of knowing myself better and connecting deeply with others. That's the gift yoga has brought me. So um, I went straight from Catholicism into sitting in a monastery, feeling like a total outsider, wondering what are they doing? I just had a lot of curiosity and, and they radiated, everyone in the monastery, they radiated peace, the monks and the sangha, and I was fascinated by this. It was very different than the Catholic Church Sunday Mass. So that's the question I was going to ask you. What was missing from your Catholicism that you found in Tibetan Buddhism? Uh, I think the the meditation piece, going to confession or trying to look at my bad behavior, for lack of a better word, sins, and make sense of that uh, as a young adult did not resonate with me. Um, I thought 
you know, this, there was no contemplative practice. There wasn't the experience of going inward. Everything was sort of the doctrine was being given from the outside in. And there's a magical practice with yoga where for it to really work, for there to be active changes and transformation, it really does start from within. And I have no doubt that in some forms of Catholicism, um, that might exist, or you, someone might have a relationship with with a priest where they could initiate that in someone. Um, but I, I did not find that in my youth. You know, it's one of the tragedies of Western religion, I think, is that they became so exoteric. It's all about the outside when they have, especially, I mean, Catholicism certainly has this rich inner tradition that somehow got... Uh, set aside for for nuns and monks, mm-hmm. and you know if if, if you weren't uh, if, if your calling wasn't in that direction, you never got exposed to these things, and it's and it's very sad because it's it is a deeply contemplative tradition, but you'd be hard pressed to to know that if all you got was uh, the kind of exposure to Catholicism that you grew up with. How are your? <laughs> this is a little personal, but I'm curious now. <laughs> Because uh, you were you were in college when you when you decided oh I think I'll be a Tibetan, um, your parents are going apoplectic or or what? <laughs> I think it, that was okay for them. When I told them that I was going to be vegetarian, uh, my father is a, a, a fourth generation butcher. He said to oh. me, "You'll <laughs> never survive." <laughs> I said, "Well, let's give it a couple years and we'll see. We'll see if um, if." If indeed uh, I can survive without meat, and that was harder for them, I think, than my spiritual practice, it, uh, and which I, I think that how we eat and the choices we make in our diet is a spiritual practice. Uh, so over time, they've, I think, they've noticed changes where they've, they've accepted it, and I've even gotten my mother to come to the monastery with me a few times, and um, she had the same initial response that I had when I was eighteen. She said, how are these people so peaceful? So I, I've appreciated watching uh, you know, her, her questions and even my grandmother. I actually gave my grandmother a mala because the, the Catholic rosary and the mala are very similar. You know, they're mm-hmm. to train our mind and to keep us focused on a higher power. And um, she practices with both. She uses, uh, you know, Hail Marys and other things from the Catholic tradition, but she does use the mala from time to time. Wow, that's really interspiritual of her. That's great. That is very interesting. So let's talk a couple of minutes about Ventana Yoga. So you you took your love of yoga practice into the business world. I did. I I, I have this experience when I unroll my yoga mat for many years of thinking, what is this made of? And it just it smells funny. It's sticky. It, it says that it's biodegradable, but how in the world would this ever biodegrade in the next five generations? And I began learning about plastic pollution and what that's doing to our oceans and what's, what that's doing to our health. And I learned that a lot of yoga mats have PVC in them. And I simply wanted to work on creating a mat that was made of recycled materials and that we could also put beautiful art, something inspiring on the mats. And you provide the art or people can actually... Both. You, know, you, you can you can make them just to you can custom make them. Yes, we can custom make them, and they're made of recycled polyester, and we have a natural rubber bottom. And right now, we're just doing private labeling because this is it's a startup of mine, and it's been easier for me to work with conscious companies uh, like Aloha. They're um, a nutrition company, 
um, so, and some other apparel brands and that have not yet ventured into yoga mats. And so I'm working with other brands to bring their personalized mat to the world. But the other thing I love about it is that I can just throw it in the washer and hang it dry. So even we have a three millimeter mat and a travel mat and both of those easily fit in the washer. And there's nothing like having, especially when people practice hot yoga, uh, the mat just gets kind of funky over time and it's very hard to clean. And we've resolved that by just regularly throw it in the washer. It won't fade, hang it dry, and it it's ready for you the next day for your practice. When I visit India... Uh, and I go to different ashrams, and, and actually, not just India. I mean, I've gone to yoga uh, ashrams all over the United States. I never get the sense, especially in India, that that mats matter. I mean, or or yoga clothes. I mean, no one, no one in Benares, uh, where I was just a few months ago, was talking about you know Lululemon or or anything like that. I mean, some of these swamis are naked, and and they're not they're not about to wear clothes. So, what is it about American yoga? where the mats matter and the clothes matter. Is is that something unique to American spiritual capitalism or is there Absolutely, yes. It's, I think it's all about um, keeping up with the Joneses in some way with American yoga. Um, and I would love, you know, my friends um, kind of joke with me because I, don't, I hardly ever even use a yoga mat when I practice. My favorite mat is an old Navajo rug and I... That's my end goal, is to inspire more yogis to be conscious about what they're buying and bring to class, maybe not even use a mat, but if you're really sweaty in class, it's helpful to have something that can, uh, you know, that doesn't get your neighbor all wet with your sweat <laughs> or that, that, you know, if you don't have a mat, sometimes you slip. So um, that's the other reason why mats have really grown and such popularity because people want to do more acrobatic yoga and you need to stick. You, you need to stick firmly to your mat so you don't hurt yourself or your neighbor. Where I live in Tennessee, yoga is still frightening to lots of people. They, they see it as, oh, I don't know, threatening their religious beliefs uh, and, and that when, when some are advocating bringing yoga into you know, PE classes in public schools because it's a lot more healthy for you than, than football. Uh, I almost said dodgeball, but I know there's so many dodgeball fanatics out there that they would, they would be upset if I said that. But, you know, yoga is something you can learn for a lifetime and you just grow into it, whereas something like football, only a few people can do well and you outgrow it uh, as you get older. So what do you see schools opening up to yoga as a legitimate form of, I mean, forget the spiritual aspect, a legitimate form of exercise? Are you having any luck uh, introducing uh, PE teachers to yoga? Yes, and I, I think that PE is one great way, um, but just be, if you're a school teacher, just implementing a simple stress management practice and taking yoga out of the equation, I find is is also helpful. Just teaching simple breathing practices or you know, taking five minutes before lunch, after lunch, if you notice that you're, the class is getting a little out of hand, um, I would love to see more and more school teachers taking the liberty of implementing these kinds of practices without having to make a big deal of it. Like, this is mm. yoga time. This is a time to connect inward. Yes, very, very good. My guest today was Sierra Campbell. You can learn more about Sierra and her yoga mat company, Ventana Yoga, at sierracampbell.com. 
Sierra, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you. Support for this show comes from the Four Winds Society, offering the world's most thorough training in the philosophy and practice of shamanic energy medicine, combining ancient wisdom teachings with cutting-edge neuroscience. Learn how you can begin your journey at www.thefourwinds.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit SpiritualityHealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats. And download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston, and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.